Welcome to Two Peed Cars with Christian Flutter and Mike Marinas. Hello and welcome to Two Peed Cars. Thank you very much for coming back and joining us on our journey of chatting. Just two pediatric chiropractors who enjoy each other's company and very much enjoy working with kids. So welcome for myself, Mike Marinas. And hey, Christian, how are you doing? Mike, I'm absolutely fantastic. Thank you again. It's what a what a wonderful night it is today. How's your weekend been? Well, there's sunshine out the window, which is which is, which is quite cool, but it's absolutely fake because this morning I had to scrape all of the um, all of the ice off of the front windscreen of my car. <laughs> so it looks nice and sunny, but it's absolutely fake. No, we had a wonderful weekend. Actually, went up to London for a little bit and uh, got into the capital a little. Enjoyed ourselves there. And uh, yeah, now back to work and hammering it this week, seeing seeing tons and tons of little kitties. So yeah, good. Very fun. good, very good. And I'm sure that you are. And watch watch this for a bit of a segue. I'm sure you are helping so much with some of their developmental processes. Is that right? Well, well absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I love where I went with that. You know, I, I do as well. Yeah, really, really <laughs> nice, really nice. I was. And in fact, one of the things I've been thinking about there is posture and the curves of children, how they develop, why they develop, why is it so important to have these curves as we start to grow? And then I was thinking maybe we could chat a little bit about how that changes as kids get older. I don't know, just off the top of my head. Seems like a great thing. And, you know, it's almost like I prepared for exactly this situation. What a great, what a great coincidence. I absolutely love it. Well, Mike, there's no, <laughs> there's no point in holding back. Look, curve development. Okay, I'm going to throw the first curveball at you at the very beginning. You know, I love this. And listeners, no, there's been no warning with this. I'm just going to jump straight in here to Mike. Here Mike, tell me, when does a cervical lidosis develop? So, oh, actually, rephrasing that question. Yeah. When do we first see a cervical lordosis? Ah, okay. So, ah. so my, my initial answer would have been to that getting onto their tummy because that's when they start to act activate the posterior chain. That's when they start to pull those vertebrae back in. But I'm guessing that cervical lordosis, probably, I'm going to just take a flyer here, is seen probably within the last trimester of pregnancy. Oh, you are. You are actually very, very, very close. Um, they, let's take a moment to just enjoy the fact that I actually got close. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's really interesting. We, we keep on forgetting about this word develop. Mm. Um, when we look at a lot of cervical stuff, you know, we think about, oh, yeah, the cervical lordosis and the lumbar lordosis. You know, they develop with, as you, as you rightly said, you know, we're getting onto our tummy. We're activating neck extensors, back extensors. You know, back in 1977, there was actually a chap who did a bunch of x-rays on, um, on unfortunately, dead babies. Probably it's more fortunate that they were doing that on dead babies and live babies. But anyway, and you know what? They were looking at fetal, the presence of cervical lordoses present in over 80% of these fetuses. Uh, and so there's, there's a huge amount of um, cervical lordosis present already before birth. And uh, there was another one that they were looking at MRI studies. And so they looked at MRI studies and they were able to find the presence of a lumbosacral lordosis. Wow. In utero, in utero. And you kind of go, hang on a sec. I thought that doesn't develop until later on. No, yeah. there's actually evidence of it being there 
really, really early. And so we've got to remember that word develop. We've got the, mm-hmm. we've got the facet orientation for lordosis. We've got the structure there for lordosis. It just mm-hmm. doesn't develop at that point yet. And so it just takes that little bit of time. Yeah, I, uh, I love that because we, we kind of have that feeling. I mean, I know I do. I've just had my sort of cage rattled with that. Is, is you, you feel like it's in neutral or, or as babies are, as they come out, flex a habitus. So everything is in that flex position. And that would be the, the thinking. And the thinking is as the muscle works on it, it almost changes everything into, into the lordosis and the cervical or, or, or lumbosacral. However, maybe the thought process is rather that it's there waiting to be pulled into the activated. Well, and now it, here's it, an interesting, yeah, so here's the interesting little uh, tangent to that one is in utero, it already is being activated. So what's the first part of our spine that is ossified? Yeah. So. One of the first parts, one of the first parts, Upper cervicals. Yeah, upper cervicals, yeah. So, so you're looking at the occipital bone is really, hey, random fact, I, I love this. Yeah. I read this one. I can't remember when I read this one. The fetal skull yeah. <laughs> is derived from over 110 ossification centers. Wow. I know, right? So you read that and you kind of go, no way. Yeah. But you look at it and you kind of go, yeah, you know what? It actually does. Now, this includes like those tiny little points that are, end up being like next to nothing. But 110 ossification, ossification centers to make up a fetal skull. I thought I was impressive because I knew words like asterion and pterion. Now, all of a sudden, okay, <laughs> that's right. Well, 108 and, more of them. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to. And you know what? I remember reading in the study, and they said the human fetal skull is derived from 110 different uh, ossification centers. However, <laughs> the, the commonly used ones are blah, 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 blah. Okay. And the, the rest. Uh, please see Appendix A <laughs> to yeah. get the full understanding. So, of what the rest I like with that, though, if you are a pediatric chiropractor and you are out there giving lectures, doing talks, that kind of thing, that is one of those starter facts. That's one of those facts that you put up big on the screen, your first slide, just to sort of <laughs> shock people. So, like, take that, use that, use that as your first thing to go. That's amazing. Hook people in and then carry on. I love facts like that. That's fantastic. I know. But do you know what the worst part about that fact is? Now I pulled this out and I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, where, <laughs> where, where did I find this one? I've got to, I've got to have a, uh, got to have something to back this one up, don't I? And you know what? As, as we, as we go on, I'm sure it'll pop yeah. into my wherever it is. Anyway, so where I was going with this one is that, Ossification. So hmm. typically ossification happens in response to a bit of a challenge. You know, we need something to sort of yeah. start that process off. The brain, it starts off with membranous kind of stuff, and then it goes through a chondrification process. Yeah. And then from chondrification, we get ossification. And it's often uh, gravity and, and forces like that that help yeah. to set up our ossification process in. Hence, we've got yeah. trabecular lines in throughout long bones, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually a primitive reflex that activates the beginning of ossification inside our upper neck. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's my understanding of it anyhow. The gasping reflex. Are you familiar with the gasp reflex? Mm. Mm. <gasps> yes. Okay. <gasps> that sudden breathing. And sometimes it's called the uh, diving reflex. I believe it's a part of the mammalian diving re- reflex uh, where we get cold water on our face and it <laughs> activates uh, vagal, vasovagal response. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's one of the reasons why people drown when they jump in really cold water. Mm. 
especially if their head gets submerged. Yeah, exactly. They gasp in a bucket load of water and it doesn't yeah. take much water to actually drown. So yeah. um, we get this gasping reflex and one of the components of the gasping reflex is neck extension. Think about when we're doing mouth-to-mouth um, -mouth resuscitation to a person. What do we need to do to one extend of the first the positions? Extend the mm -hmm. neck. Uh, as long as we don't have, obviously, indication of, you know, neck, neck or anything like that. Yeah. That's it, because neck fracture and neck extension, not a good friend. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so neck extension. So here we are in utero already having evidence of neck extensor activity and the development of neck extension and lordosis. Mm -hmm. I wonder yes, as well, that's now got me thinking about primitive reflexes and that kind of thing, because there are other ones that are uh, that are involved in utero, like TLR would be quite interesting. Yeah. That that might be part of that as well, because we know that's also part of moving through the birth canal and getting extension into the neck and extension into the back. And, and primitive reflexes, that's basically their job is to do, is to autopilot, do things so that they can start to create a framework within which to work. So why would they not be involved in something like this? Yeah, except for the ATR. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be the topic for another, another session, I feel, <laughs> because that, that's, that's a primitive reflex that I look at and go, interesting. Anyway, so that, yes. Can, can I tell you something? And this is going to, it's just before I forget about it. I read a yeah. paper where they talked about certain um, sports bringing back the ATNR reflex to be able to yes. help archery being one and ballet Bas being another. Basketball. Ballet. I had yeah. basketball. So they yeah. used the extension to be able yeah. to launch themselves up a little bit higher. Yeah. Oh, they, they, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So primitive reflexes, they're an automatism. So there's actually, have you found, um, there was one that came out recently talking about the stepping or walking reflex. Mm -hmm. And it was trying to, it's trying to point out that the walking reflex in some societies and some cultures is driven throughout their life. Okay. And one of those cultures, I believe was Ethiopian. One of those, the, yeah. those countries that do brilliantly the long distance running kind of uh, sports yeah they keep that walking reflex present and it makes a lot of sense to me you know yeah. the stepping walking reflex if you can do this one automatically without having to think and you've mm -hmm. got the most energy efficient locomotion present already why not keep on doing that one Absolutely. and they actually linked the uh inhibition of that one or the disappearance of that one to uh being overweight wow so babies who were over the weight of what they should be for their age and development, it starts to inhibit that reflex. That's incredible. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm testing walking reflexes and all these bubs, and I'm like, oh, got a bit of a chubby bubby here because that yeah. walking reflex has disappeared. Yeah. And it's, Either it's that actually, was now the, that I'm Is there any, any Ethiopian in your family? Back. <laughs> it's either that they're chubby or they're, or they're North African. That's it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, when you've got two, two white Aussies looking at me and I'm kind of going, yeah, there's some Ethiopian in the background. <laughs> it's all about inclusivity, I, man. You yeah. don't know. You don't know. I think I'd, I'm scared to take one of those genetic tests because one of my mates took them and found a whole bunch of Neanderthal. And me and him are kind of similar, so I'm yeah, I'm a little worried. Uh, I'll go with North, I'll go with North African. If you... Yeah, North yeah. African. Mind you, the Neanderthal would explain a bit of the sloping. Would indeed. Hey, like Foreheads and all that kind like of whatnot, wouldn't it? <laughs> so oh, look, I'm seeing more and more of mine as time gets past. <laughs>
what a massive tangent that was. Let me bring you back in yeah, again. Bring us that back. paper, that paper, it was Nemzek in the year 2000. Mm. And he was looking at the ossification processes that go on. So there's 110 ossification centers in the fetal skull. Yeah. But after we're born, so we've got the we've got the blueprint, we've got the established structure already there. Yeah. But then it comes down to those critical processes. And one of the most critical processes involved in curve development, Mike, you said it so perfectly before, it is. is. Oh, extension, extension chain. Yes, thank you. Tummy time. Yeah, yeah. It's tummy time. And tummy time is brilliant because, and, and a lot of the time we think, oh, it's just extensors, but it's extensors. And then that leads on to deep net flexors. And that's what starts to really create this big curve. And there's other things like, and I know I, I deal with it a lot with, with, with parents coming in going, well, they don't really like tummy time, obviously, because these are reflex babies or they are 20 colors babies or whatever. And they're not really keen on tummy time. But we know that those are the kids we desperately need to get in that position. So the parents yeah. kind of go, well, you know, what I'm doing is I'm just kind of putting them on my chest and they're kind of wobbling their head around. And that's like half points. So like, well, that's where the education needs to come in, in terms of, yes, that does do a little bit to be able to get neck control in, but there are so many more things about tummy time, like pressure through the elbows, because if you yeah. get pressure through the elbows, now you start to get a shoulder girdle that starts to work. Once that works, now you can start to get the neck extensors plus the deep neck flexors going. It also That's means right. that now you can start to get pressure onto the knees. That will start to move out. The pelvis will start to come down. The ASISs will start to push down. That means that the weight distribution starts to move, which means that the pressure distribution starts to move long ways through the baby. All of these things cannot be wrapped up into head control. And the problem is that when people talk about tummy time, they talk about, well, it's, oh, look how strong the neck is. And you want to go, Okay, so sometimes you do get a neck that looks really strong. That's a hyperextended child. That's like a Sandifer's mm -hmm. child, or it's part of the torticollis that they're seeing, and it's really held in position. And they go, no, don't worry, the neck is strong. The neck's mm -hmm. in the position, it's weak, and the rest of the chain is not supporting it. And as a chiropractor, yeah. you know it is all about support from the rest of the chain. So it's really, really That's right. My money is so important to be able to go, it's not about... Yeah, head control is the thing you see, but there's so much more behind that. And that's what tummy time's about. Not that curve, all of those curves, because we've got to prep for sitting and we've got to prep for walking. And that prep comes from that time. That's right. Mike, I want to touch into two points that you just raised then. And actually, I, I'm, I actually, I just did a YouTube video on exactly this topic about how we have this misunderstanding of a child with a strong neck as being a good thing. You know, it's... I, a newborn baby has not been exposed to gravity, okay? Yeah. They should not have a strong neck, okay? It's when, and I'm talking about the neonatal ages here, so I'm looking up to around eight weeks of age. So we're looking at kids at this age, they've not, they'll have tone to an extent, but when they're saying that they're able to hold their neck up and they're really, really strong, yeah, pay attention to that because I often find that that is tied in with either something going on in the upper part of their neck or something inside their sacrum. There could be anything inside that spinal chain that could be driving that process. Yeah. And the second thing I want to bring up is Sandifer syndrome. Okay, now yeah. Sandifer syndrome is something that's a little a little bit more common than what I think people are giving credit to. And I think it's because it's uh, it fits within a, uh, as with every disorder almost, it is like a spectrum of presentation, mm. okay? 
So Sandifer syndrome is we're looking at a, a what's a transient type of torticollis that's typically triggered by an exposure to a particular protein. Okay, it's it's typically uh, the most common ones that I see, like cow's milk. Are you finding cow's milk as well? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and it ends up with the baby that when they're having a feed, the parents will say, oh, he, he's feeding, and he always goes really rigid. You know, mm. he starts to get into this kind of posture, and he'll start to arch his head back, mm. and he'll hold in that position there. And it's, it's, it's just usually straight after a feed or at least uh, within 15 to 20 minutes of that feeding time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that one up because it's it's something that happens frequently. And when you see that kind of presentation, what, what you, what's your typical management when you see someone like that, right? So, so the, fir- the first thing into that is, and, and this was a little bit of extrapolation from a, from a wonderful uh, physio that I used to work with in, in, in South Africa, where she talked about uh, cow's milk protein being one of the biggest things because cow's milk protein tends to paralyze the upper the upper part of the gut. And it's not working properly. And then what you end up with is all of this fluid starting to move up. And what she was seeing with Sandifers, which was really interesting, was she was seeing the arching and the rotation, especially to the right side with the neck. And that's something I ask about a lot. And like 80 to 90% of the time, it's exactly that. Because I'll posture that in the office and the parents will go, yes, that's exactly that. Her biomechanical finding of that is that that is a way of taking that lower esophageal sphincter and closing it going into extension and rotating the head to the side has a fascial tension that closes up that lower esophageal sphincter because of the paralysis that the cosmal protein has caused. It might be a little out there, but it is, it just mechanically, it almost said it turned me on. It did kind of mechanically. (laughs) It just kind of got me going, you know, that's right. Stretch your fascia in the right places. Yeah. And that I always think about as well, um, what, and this brings me into the management, and that's why I started with that, is that sometimes kids do things for a reason. So that posturing, maybe it's the same as a fever. It's like the fever is not the thing to bring down. It's the reason for the fever that is there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like in a bacterial uh, uh, meningitis, if you bring the fever down, all of a sudden the doc can't tell what's going on and then you miss your that's window. Right. Right? Yep. So. In this kind of thing, what um, my what I generally do with it is I explain what it is, the conjecture around it, why we think it happens, all the little bits and pieces that are going on. Um, the the treatment for me remains not to try and break that Sandifers because it's there for the reason we want to try and get all the other things out the way that could be causing mm-hmm. that, and we use that Sandifers as um, something that we look at to see how our treatment is going. So I use it oh, as a measure to go, look, a baby shouldn't be going into this. I mean, it's, we kind of say it's and you don't sit in a steak restaurant, have your, have your steak and then go rigid and fall off the chair. Like it's not a thing. <laughs> it's, it's not a response to feeding, right? It's no, I don't know. I sometimes response. enjoy my steak quite a bit. Exactly. <laughs> I've been away for a good steak for a year, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to tick. So I I just, I always think of it as, as an indicator of what's going on. And I always think babies in that position. And that's the wonderful thing about tiny babies is that they're completely honest and they don't do stuff because they want things or they don't do that. They only do things because they work for them. So they're getting into that position because something around there is happening with them. So 
I mean, I, I know I've worked with a couple of people that kind of go, well, you've got to, then when they go into this position, you want to push them that way. I just, for me, I want to work the rest of it out and go, why are they doing that? And, and then mm -hmm. use that aberrant behavior coming down as a measure of we're, we're, we're working on the cause. See, that's a really interesting, different, see, this is one thing that I really love about this podcast, Mike, is that here you've got, you've just blown my mind with a completely new potential. I will be honest, I had never even considered a fascial linkage as a part of that process. Uh, never considered. Um, I, I've always looked at it from a, a neuroinflammatory side okay. of things. Yeah. And so whenever I see Sandifer syndrome, I think about vagal response. Okay. So we're looking at, at a pro-inflammatory. So the biggest, biggest cause is cow's milk protein. The biggest protein inside that, the A1 casein, the casein protein causes a reaction. We get an over-response of both TH2 systems. We start to get um, pro-inflammatory states going on. Yep. And what's the major neuro involved with the upper gut function there? We're looking at vagus. vagus. Um, and what, 80% of vagus um, activity is um, somatic, not somatic, what's the word I'm looking for? Afferent. Afferent. So it's going to come, come straight back up from the gut there until the brain something's going on. Uh, where is the vagus nucleus held? It's upper cervical. So what, uh, yeah. that's that medullary region. Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to create like this localized overflow response, if you will. And uh, what I then see is that um, spasming going on. So we see an overfunction of what uh, trigeminal, spinal, trigeminal nucleus, yeah, and yeah. the impact in the upper cervical region there. And um, then you throw it out into a particular posturing. Now that posturing, see the thing that it doesn't explain is why it's that particular posturing. I often work from a top-down approach there. Mm -hmm. And see, I often find kids with the Sandifer, they've got a uh, first degree of cows, like a, that, that immunosensitivity going on but then also potentially a structural issue. And I find a structural issue hypersensitized the vagus to make it more responsive to those kinds of, okay. of um, aggravations to the gut yeah. there. So it's, it's interesting. We're working. Here's, nice. maybe, here's maybe a link. 2020 paper in Journal of Hypothesis, Medical Hypothesis, talking about yes. cervical tension yes. influencing stomach pain via that tension influencing vagus at, oh. at jugular foramen through carotid yep. sheath, which then will attach to ATM, yep. which makes mm -hmm. sense. Keeps um, into that kind of action. And then getting and then potentially getting caught down into the clavicle. So what they were looking at was if there's tension inside there, uh, that, that could be affecting. So I'm kind of thinking that kind of posturing could also be trying to stimulate vagus, create a little bit of vagal tone by unhooking it, yeah. it work a little. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there could be like a mechanical link inside there as well. And, and with so many things like this, there can be three, four, five, ten reasons. Oh, and that's one of them. Exactly. Kids, and that, this is just another point as well, is you cannot just do a textbook recipe kind of a thing with each case. This is why. You yeah. really, yeah, you really do need to investigate each case individually. Wow, that was, <laughs> was a, yeah. a wonderful <laughs> tangent. Where we were we? Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you very much, sir. Um, well, thank you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, where were we going with this one? We were going with cervical extension. Yes. Yeah. So, Cervical extension. So we're talking about tummy time. Tummy time. Oh my goodness! Did you read that brilliant? It was a 2020 paper as well by 
Lyndall Hewitt. Mm, yes. yes. Lyndall Hewitt, uh, the systematic review looking at tummy time and, and, and health outcomes. And so mm. that was a brilliant systematic review. And I really quite enjoyed it. So there was, it wasn't a little systematic review either. So it's, well, it was somewhat little. I think only, what, a dozen, 15 or so papers that were finally included inside that systematic review. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up being, hang on, I'll pull up some notes. <gasps> no, I won't pull up notes. I'll make it fat. Let's, let's use memory. Activate those memories. I'm going to look up and remember. <laughs> That's it. I'll give myself prompts by reading the prompts. That's and like it's, yeah, it's being able to do this stuff on Zoom. I don't know. Just a quick tangent when you when you do when you do talks on Zoom because I I do quite a few teaching talks on Zoom. Isn't it so much easier than teaching live because you got your notes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you yeah, have notes. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. No, no, no. Uh, exactly, exactly. Anyway, so so um, Hewitt's paper, 2020, it's a brilliant paper for anyone who's interested in tummy time because tummy time, it is incredibly important. And uh, so what they're looking at is they found like uh, tummy time is associated with improved gross motor development, uh, improved movement development on its on its own. So you get better function of your arms, legs, head, neck, all that kind of stuff. And most importantly, it helps with correcting head shape. Okay. Now, this is a big thing because what are we seeing a lot of since this back to sleep campaign? Yeah. So back to sleep back in 1992. Plagiocephaly. What are we seeing? All Plagiocephaly. And oh a massive goodness. increase I've seen anecdotally over COVID. And for a couple of reasons, <gasps> one, health visitors are not, are not arriving at people's houses. And even when you get babies in, in, in NICU situations are coming out of NICU, the nurses have not been. And I speak under correction, I have been explained to you because i'm not i'm not saying anything that they're not or whatever i've been explained that it feel what some of the moms have said staff are not turning babies as much as they would be generally um because they can't touch because they can't touch so they're hamstrung to be able to do it so what you end up with is this tiny really soft soft little membranous skull onto a left hand side or a right hand side but now for hours and hours and hours and 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 off we go and then you start with the plagiarism Mm. And it doesn't have to be a side either. It can be straight up brachycephaly yep. or bradycephaly, whichever, whichever one you want to use. So Which one do you say? On the back of the head itself. Which one do you say? Uh, I sort of I sort of flip between the two. I, I tend to say bradycephaly a bit more frequently and then brachycephaly will pop in every now and then. Yeah, I say brachycephaly. And then you've got the... I think it's a migraine-migraine thing again. I say brachycephaly. Yeah, that's it. But you say ceph, not kef, which is interesting. But yeah. yeah. We're all speaking the same dialect of French there, so it's all fine. Um, so oh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's same same thing is happening down here. So um, parents aren't getting through the health nurses, and or if they if they're having health appointments, it's via telehealth, and yep. so parents don't. Mm. Not all not all parents are trained to look for these things. L- let so- me also tell you. I messed up when I was still in South Africa when we were under lockdown and I was and I was working telehealth. I saw a, a child where the parents said, "Oh, we think it's a plagiocephaly. I'm not too sure." And I kind of looked at it and I got them to move baby around on the on, on the camera and mm. I said, "Look, mm. on the off chance it doesn't look that bad to me, on the off chance, please go through to the ped. Just go check it out." Because you seem to be really worried about it. From what I can see, got a call from the ped that day and they said, "Look, either you get your bum back in the office." you stop doing this because that was the worst plagio that has walked into her office. And she was like, wow. I get 
that we're in this position now, but you chiropractors need to get back in the office because this is, this is yeah. going to be causing, this is going to be causing huge, huge trouble. So it was, it was really interesting. And I have a lot of, uh, not, I, I've seen a ton and I have a lot of experience with, with head shapes mm -hmm. and I missed that but, completely. But you've not had the experience of trying to assess them over video yeah. conference. Mm -hmm. It's so, so completely different. You know what, even during the worst of everything that was going on down here, we, we stayed open, if only to check heads and hips. Yeah. And you know what? Health, public health nurse systems were closed. So yeah. where could parents go? We said, you know what? There's no charge. It's complimentary. Just bring your children in. And we will yeah. have a look. You can walk in. We'll write it in your book and out you go. Yeah. Okay. Nice, straightforward, simple. We had all the protective measures. We did all the right things. Ah, oh, just but so many just keep on slipping through the cracks there, and um, and you know it's 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 so easy to develop, but it's so time it it just takes time to correct. And if you miss that golden window in hips, don't get me started. Mike, I'm I'm writing up. Uh, I've got three hip cases that I'm writing up at the moment, and I've just picked. A, I've just had another case, the uh, positive DDH mm -hmm. uh, come through after. I've told the parents, I'm like, at the first visit, I said, you know what? It's a little bit funny. And I said, we'll check it again in a week. And that way it's a bit of time. And maybe it was just because kid was a bit unsettled or something along those lines. Checked again the next week. And I said, no, time to go get further, further assessment. And um, they went through. So we can't refer for ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. Went through the GP. GP said, uh, "Look, it's it's yeah. I, I, yeah I look, chiropractor. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it turned out to be quite bad hip dysplasia. So very grateful uh, with everyone all around. And so thankfully, in another case. It's just been cleared out. It's just happening yeah. so frequently. Yeah. Now, now here's the thing. So we're talking about trying to get tummy time happening, right? How much tummy time is recommended over in the UK there? So um, it's it's generally twenty to thirty minutes within a within a twenty four hour period. Um, yep. I uh, I always remember one of the 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 well I'm talking a lot about physios today, but one of my really good physio mates that worked in the in the neonatal ICU saying that hmm. her explanation to parents is that little prems in the NICU do an hour a day. Ah. So yeah. if they can do an hour a day, because that's always the worry, right? That's always the worry is the parents are going, but is it too much? Is it too that? Well, look, parents yeah. do an hour a day. And, and then the other mix up is they go an hour. Okay. And that's the other thing. Not an hour because yeah. Okay. Little bits and pieces as you go exactly. to tolerance as well, because as babies get a little older and a little wiser, the moment you put them on their tummy, they go ballistic because they realize I'm going to get left here for a long time. Um, one or two other little little points um, that that I really picked up that just changed changed a lot for me is to remember that a baby is almost a bedridden patient, even if they're moving around and they're going wherever. They're bedridden in terms of that they can't change their environment. They're hamstrung to mm. be able to be in whatever environment they're in. So what we tend to do is go, let's keep them entertained and pour a toy box out in front of them, and then they get overstimulated <gasps> by too many things and they can't move. So now yep. they start to freeze in that position and they get really upset about it. Um, so it's also just a thing to be able to explain to parents, maybe one toy, because there's been a little bit of research I've seen with that as well, to be able to yeah. bring one thing or another thing and, and, you know, have a socialization with it as well. 
But my thing is always, if your baby's on the floor, you should be on the floor as well, because there's oh, nothing, more, very much so. nothing better than your face or your interaction with your child to be able to to be able to to work with it. But yes, twenty to thirty minutes is the is the the recommendation here. I don't like it. I like to always push and push and push, yeah. but to 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 baby's tolerance. Yeah, and it's actually it's very similar down here. So Australian government is is thirty minutes in that okay. twenty four hour period of time. And uh, it was great. So the that Hewitt paper actually talked about the reasons why. So those associations um, with the head shape and development or what, it says you need to have, um, if you have less than 30 minutes, you don't get those benefits. Yeah. So that, that's why we've got the 30 minutes. And it's just the bare minimums. You know, I remember reading about this one from the Australian Breastfeeding Association. They say babies need to be breastfed for a minimum of six months. And I'm like, six months, really? Is that it? Mm. And I was talking with um, with one of the people at the ABA here, and I said, six months seems like a bit of a short time. She goes, it is. We want them to get to 12 months at least. But adherence, we just can't get patients, we just can't get parents to adhere to that. And that's actually something. Uh, so Hewitt actually, Lyndall Hewitt actually published another paper talking about this. Um, and they looked at adherence rates for so that 30 minutes. Mm. And it was only so childcare centers if you're putting your bub in a childcare center they're very good so they've got about a 75 to 90 percent adherence rate mm-hmm. but they, they looked at a bunch of melbourne so i feel like oh gosh really they looked at a bunch of melbourne parents yeah if they do that not pointing fingers, but they were probably too sipping, too busy sipping on their oak milk lattes to, to you know, put the bubs down for that period of time. And I can say that because I'm, I'm an oat milk sipping latte drinker. So it's it's it's, it's a bit of a... You didn't move over to pumpkin spice for Halloween? The pumpkin spice chai. For, yeah. for what? For what? Sorry, Mike? Oh, right. You don't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't do it in South Africa. It's it's crazy over here. It is, it's... it's, it's I, in the, in the defense of Halloween, it's it's actually it's picked up a little bit, but I, I, I'm looking around going, why? But yeah. um, okay, it's it seems to be a thing. But anyway, so where was I going with that one? So they were talking about adherence, and yes, thirty yeah. percent. So yeah. only thirty percent of parents actually give babies enough time oh. on their tummy to actually do this, and you know it, it's. It's incredible. So I keep on telling parents, you know what? The reason that we do this tummy time, it's not just to help with their development. Because parents, it's, it's a funny one. We have this conceptual linkage. It's difficult to understand development, mm. okay? But we can understand physical. We can see the physical. Yeah. You know, I was talking about this with my daughter the other day because she was talking about Elon Musk, about him being a billionaire and how weird it must be to have a billion dollars. And I said, do you know what a, do you know what a billion dollars actually is? Mm. And it was great because I just read this thing pop up on Facebook and I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that as a learning yeah. tool. And it was saying that um, the best way to get the concept like this across is so same as development. You can't understand a person's development because it's, yeah. it's, it's incongruent. Anyway, we talked about a billion dollars and I said, well, how about this? What about $1 million? How much is a million dollars? She goes, oh, it's, it's more than you've got, Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot yeah. more than I've got. I'd like to have that. I wouldn't complain. Yeah. And I said, well, how about this? One million seconds is 11 days. I said, one billion seconds is 31 years. Yeah, there's the and, difference. And she kind of got this, what? Mm. So you, you have this, this you, you might not realize that the development, it might impact them a little bit or a lot of it. You don't know. Yeah, mm. But that's that's a difficult one to, to yeah. 
express, but he can express the head shape very easily. And we can actually look at, we've picked on plagia already as well. So back in 2007, Van Vlimmeren, he did a great, he, she, I'm not sure actually, I don't know Van Vlimmeren. They, yeah, well, they published a great paper looking at incidents of plagiocephaly at the seven week of old age. Mm -hmm. And it was, what about 20 odd percent? I think it was 24 point something mm -hmm. rather percent. Um, this was actually repeated in 2014 by Mauji, M-A-W-J-I. I don't know how to pronounce that name. Yeah. And um, at nine weeks of age, nine or seven weeks of age as well, it's jumped to 46%. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's just so yeah. it's it's incredible. So I use that as the driver to say, get them on their tummies, you know, it's mm. going to help with preventing this 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 from occurring. You know, we're already seeing it's it's increasing in incidence quite quite a bit. Yeah. I've also found that some parents will respond differently to different things. So some parents will respond to um, to a lack and some parents will respond to an abundance. So uh, it really works out how you have to explain it. Because if you're explaining, I want to stop something from happening to someone who's focused on getting the best outcome for their child, they're like, I'm not too worried about that. I want to work here. And then if you are explaining about all these wonderful benefits to someone who yes. is worried about something going wrong, you're speaking the wrong language. So it's always to work out what, what where are they? Are they mm. trying to fix a problem? Are they trying to optimize what's happening? And to be able mm. to speak in that language, because if you speak in that language, then they start to come with you on the journey. But if you're always pegged in one place, which I always was, I was always pegged in, there's a problem. And then eventually at a parent come in and say no 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 i want you to tell me the best thing to do because i'm here spending time with you because i'm not worried my baby has a problem i want them to have the best possible outcome that we can and that was yeah. a that was like a moment for me to go people and parents frame things in different ways and it's for mm -hmm. us to be able to explain that framing properly yeah there you go that's that's a good one now mike i'm actually going to throw a bit of a um a hypothetical to you here okay okay so kids now, we spend a lot of time on our back, okay? Do you feel, if you look at the generation of kids that's coming through at this point in time, do you find that you're looking at a lot more kids who have a very slouched posture? Yes. yes. Do you feel that by being on their back for an abundance of time, which promotes flexitone more so, mm -hmm. Do you feel that they've underdeveloped their back extensor muscle groups and it's leading into, or it's like a weakened circuitry here that, that makes it easier for them to progress into that slouched posture later on in life? I, re I really like that. And, and I'll tell you why I like that. It's exactly the orders of magnitude that you were talking about just now of 1 million to a billion, where you talk about, we have a problem with our kids going, stop looking down at your phone because that's what's going to cause the flexion. However, could they have had circuitry, which is not working correctly right from the beginning, mean that they could look down at their phone or not look down at their phone, 
the fact of the matter is that extensor tone is just not enough to overcome the flexor tone. Now what we have as well is let's just take the last 12 months. Now we've got kids that are sitting in front of a computer homeschooling. They don't have time to go out to break because break time is your extensor tone. Work time is exactly. your flexor tone. Now they exactly. flex the tone all the time and it becomes a novelty to, and that was the thing that blew my mind. It's a novelty to go and do a Joe Wicks course on YouTube. It's a novelty to get your body moving. And everyone was like, oh my God, we're all having fun to get like, what? This is what we should be doing. And I think that, I mean, you've really just crystallized it for me. It, it's not about because this looks like the billion seconds, right? This looks like looking at my phone, looking down at my phone. Look at that. That's starting to happen. Your shoulders are coming forward. You, you're extending the, the, the upper cervicals. You're flexing the, 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 the lower cervicals. Look at this that you're creating. Hang on a second. That was created way back. You were just yeah. fitting into the mold that your body's created. And that's what we're talking about, spinal curves, posture, and development. That's right. And so this is where I, I love that you've pulled out the phone one here. Um, you know, Australian guidelines are very, very particular. So they talk about uh, screen time in regards yeah. to ages. So different ages, different levels of screen time. So, for instance, infants, zero to, to, to two years of age as well, um, yeah. no screen time. The Australian government recommendation is zero screen time. That, that shocks parents when I say that. Yeah. So no digital babysitter, no screen time whatsoever. Mm. Uh, from two to five years of age, you're allowed one hour. Now, uh, in May this year, the Australian uh, guideline, they edited it, edited, I can never say this one properly, edited yeah. that guideline yeah. to, reflect, to reflect what's going on in the world. And yeah. so the guideline for, for five to 17-year-olds was only two hours per day. Mm -hmm. Two hours per day. You try telling a 17-year-old now but they're only allowed yeah. two hours of screen time in a day. Yeah. They actually had to amend it to include this. I had to, I had to write it down somewhere. So that's it. It does not include the screen time needed for schoolwork. All oh, right. Because that's somehow magically different. That's magically different yeah. time, you know, because we sit in perfect postures when we're at school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Madness. So yeah, Madness. I, I think there's certainly, there's certainly a degree of um, we're not training the system adequately. Uh, initially, but we're certainly, you know, it's like I, I always, I always find this very amusing. You know, when you've got a, when you've, when you've got a slice at golf, mm. okay, you're slicing it. It's always going off to the side. Um, you don't go to the gym to strengthen that, right? Mm. You, you work on your technique. You do things, and so it's the same sort of thing with the screen time. We need to, we need to work on their technique. We need to work on okay. Um, what's my posture doing? What's going on? Now, this, this is actually there was a study on this one. I did write it down somewhere. Um, this was Mingeli. Thank you. Mingeli in 2020, they took a whole bunch of kids from a school, adolescent kids, so 13 to 17-year-olds, and they looked at their sitting posture, okay? Yeah. And when they looked at they assessed their sitting posture. Now, I wished in their paper, I couldn't really see what they had defined as being correct posture, but they found 96% okay. were considered to be incorrect. Mm-hmm. Okay, 96%. Now, that's incredible. I remember when my first, when my daughter first started to go swimming and um, kept the chiropractor, she's getting treated frequently. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember she's sitting there and there in her class, there's a whole bunch of kids all sitting in a row, like a bunch of ducks, and they're all slumped over. 
yep. except my daughter. And she did me so proud because she was sitting just straight up. Yeah. There was no, there was no question to it. So she was, I, I love that. She's one of that four percenters. Now, so what this Mengele did is they actually gave that, that cohort a lesson on ergonomics. Okay. And they talked about postures and they talked about this and that and how posture influences things and how we can work on it. And then they reassessed them and it reduced to only 42% having incorrect wow. posture. Now they took that cohort again and I think we're giving physios far too much praise here because I'm going to praise a physio as well. So <laughs> Good. came in like with it. a physio and yeah, look, manual therapy, it's, it's all about the manual therapy and this, this is important. And so physio, they came in and they actually taught the kids proper posture. Hmm. Okay. Guess how many actually ended up with correct posture at the end of that trial? Yeah, it's going to be, so they went be a good From number. 96 to 2% wow. had incorrect posture after actually being physically taught. Kids aren't stupid. Kids can learn things pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love teaching kids. I just do a couple of simple extensor exercises. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I talk about this one. You're slashed over. Great. Get onto your tummy. And we're going to do one called Superman. Mm -hmm. I, go, I love Supermans. I get them to do the child's pose after a bit of exercise. Child's pose, stretch out their flexor groups, mm -hmm. get the hip flexors moving, and um, some of the quadruped stuff. So, you know, like your bird cow. No, what? Bird dog. Cat cow, bird dog. Thank you. I'll get there yeah. eventually. There are all these funny physio names of things. And um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So we can actually train this system as well. You know, we talk about chiropractors. Oh, yes, it's all about adjusting. But you know what? When you are adjusting someone, it's it's this period of time that you're able to influence yeah. that change. If you can then set up a series of exercises and help them over a long course, oh goodness gracious, that's going to help in the long term, big time. Yeah. Okay. And now, if we can start doing these exercises, so we're talking about the phone. Okay, the phone is one aspect. Um, you know, if there's another aspect. So, what is the kid carrying on their back? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So if we're constantly looking down that that's one aspect that drives that posture it creates lazy extensors but what if we're carrying something that's creating overactivity of the flexors yeah and this this is this is a huge thing i mean i got into it because my kids were carrying bags to school because they were getting bigger and all of a sudden you know it's one day where you lift their bag and you go i can't carry this what's going on you know and then i started to dive into it to have a look at what should actually be happening when we look at you know school bags and that kind of thing because and really interestingly it was it was an american let me just grab this out here somewhere i don't want to lie to you because it was um I'm gonna have to lie to you know it was the consumer product safety commission in the usa oh. came out within a year fourteen thousand injuries had to do with backpacks, the heaviness of backpacks, and the use of backpacks. So again, not just the fact that it's heavy, because we also kind of go into, oh, they're really heavy, but it's the use of them and how you use them. 14,000 injuries is ridiculous that people are getting injured like that, especially kids getting injured with that, with, with, yeah. with that kind of thing. And it's, it's just so important to be able to lay down the guidelines to parents because also other things start to happen. Like parents start to go, cool, I don't want to put something on my child's back, one side or whatever. So I'm going to get them a trolley. 
And that mm. happened. We we went through that in South Africa with some of the schools. And then everyone had the fancy trolley. And then some company worked out school kids want trolleys. And then they made fantastic <laughs> Superman, Batman trolleys. All of a sudden, what you end up with is this massive weight going into a trolley. And I saw it the first day of the first year of, uh, well, the first day of school. My daughter was a little tiny. Everyone has the trolley. She walked with the trolley all the way up to the steps, looked at the steps, and her little brain went, damn, I am never going <laughs> to pick this trolley up to get oh, up on the steps. My. It's never going to happen. So the thing is, to be able to give proper information to parents when it comes to this kind of thing so kind of the guidelines that sit on the backpacks is around if you've got a backpack you want to have it both shoulders of course you don't want to have those leather bags those little those uh, like concert going like one-sided bags yes. you want to have both sides um you want to there are a couple of really interesting things you don't want the bag to go up above the shoulder you don't want the bag to go lower than the si joints um because then you start creating weird fulcrums on both sides so mm -hmm. you want to have it plucked right in there you want about 10 percent body weight there's some some of the researchers talk about 15 percent yeah, but it's it generally sits at about 10 the most interesting percentage though is there is a percentage for trolleys not more Trolleys. than uh, so the the wheelie bag ones yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So, so so that sits at not more than 20 percent of their of their body weights because the problem is otherwise you just pack them full of everything and then yeah. that also it starts to lead on to things like lockers at schools Things like we're in 2021, e-resources, instead of walking around with your good old, you know, massive, uh, massive textbooks all over the place. And to almost yeah. get the schools involved in understanding this kind of thing as well, because it's, they also start to go, well, the kids must bring in all of these resources. And you go, but it starts to become absolutely unmanageable. And then the, the lockers on the other side of the school. So now they put all of their textbooks in for this day. And now they're walking around with this massive bag that's pulling them all over the place. And yeah, there's, mm -hmm. there's so much around bags, how to choose bags, just so that you end up with um, a kid that's not creating. And this is the big problem anterior head carriage because you end up being the turtle and i've seen i i live on an uphill and i've got all the kids that walk up to school i see the turtle brigade every morning these massive heavy backs and these anterior heads going just making oh. them up flattened out flattened out lumbar spine you know flattened out thoracic spine and mm. just all of that curvature happening in the head to be able to drag them forward and you just think what are you doing to yourself you know i love that one so that was a, that was actually a paper back in 2005 by ferris Fares, f-a-r-e-s <clears throat> gosh i gotta clean my throat they were looking at the forward head carriage side of things sorry mm. i'm just gonna <clears throat> and um what they did was they were measuring the amount of relative weight that the head has. And I'm pretty sure we all talk about this one. You know, for every centimeter it goes forwards, it doubles yeah. the weight, et cetera. Uh, it, they actually looked at it in terms of degrees of neck flexion. Mm -hmm. So the average head is what about five-ish kilos? Ad okay. Adult heads, about five-ish kilos. When you add in just 15 degrees of flexion to that, mm -hmm. it, it, it triples, okay? So, well, nearly triples. It gets to around 12 and a half kilos. Wow. Okay. By the time you get down to 60 degrees, which is what we typically do to read something down at, at our hand level, it's, mm -hmm. it's ready to go fine. It is now over five times greater. It's around 27 kilo equivalents. 
Okay. Wow. Uh, you're talking about the backpack weight. Uh, yeah. I love this one. So, Xiang 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 Ban. I don't even know how to pronounce his name either. S I A M P A N E S. This one, this one was a really good one, actually. One of my colleagues, uh, not my colleagues, one of my friends from uh, Adelaide, she picked up on this one and uh, did a beautiful little uh, infographic on it. And it's talking about um, uh, backpack weight, and it was really interesting. So you talked about twenty percent. They actually said the same numbers, uh, but they actually said there's no safe lower tolerable limit. Okay, it just tends to be you're at a lower risk of getting back pain when your bag is at five percent of your body weight compared to those who are at twenty percent of their body weight. Yeah, okay? and likewise, they actually said it's it's less, and it's when you're carrying it, it's, it's not even a long period of time. As long as you've gone over five minutes, you're more likely to start developing back pain. Okay, and then being female you're more likely to start developing back pain as well. And this then, this is what they ended up doing is they looked at a whole bunch of middle schoolers over in the US. Now, in the US, you're talking about lockers. And I really wish that people would go to the E. I, I love my e-reader. I've got a little E thingy and I write notes on it all the time. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm. Why? Yeah. You know, we're, we're getting there. They're starting to use iPads and Chromebooks and things like this. Mm -hmm. But they still have to bring their textbook. Yeah. It's like, uh, why? Anyway, so this Shambana's person, they've, they've looked at this one and they, they, they got the cohort. Over 60% were experiencing back pain. This is in kids. Okay? Over 60% experiencing back pain. Now, that actually, that, that links me to another, another study that was done by Casola in 2017. And they were, they were looking at kids with back pain as well. I'll get to that one in a tick. But mm. this one, so 64% had back pain issues. Now, over 40% expressed it was directly related to when they put their backpack on. Wow. Okay. Wow. So this, this is this is substantial, okay? Over 20% had issues for greater than six months. Mm. Okay. Six months. But that's now a chronic pain condition. Okay. Yeah. Chronic pain condition. Uh, there was this Cosola study that were looking at uh, academic performance in kids with chronic pain conditions, or they, I think they actually had theirs based on three months duration. Greater than three months duration, it starts to impact on their testing results. Okay, I think they were looking at younger children. I think those were eight to nine-year-olds. Mm -hmm. But it started to impact, we, we still use that NAPLAN. Do you do NAPLAN over there? Mm -hmm. I think it was done by New York State once and then yeah. they kind of forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing all this screening of years three, five, seven, and nine. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah, they're finding that kids who experience back pain perform worse on their exams. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, it does. Who likes being in pain? The yeah. kids in back pain. So that same study, Casola, kids in back pain for greater than three months duration, higher risk of developing depression and anxiety. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. This yeah. is in kids. I, yeah. So I'm going to chuck something at you here. Oh, please do. Now, okay, we, we'll just take as read that the problem is as well bigger because these are loads that are, are borne by developing spines, okay, which means that the, 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 the function of the spine is then going to uh, give it the structure later in life so so whatever mm -hmm. the function of that spine that is the structure it's going to come out with so uh, in, in terms of the, the reverse with an adult where the, the structure that they have is going to give them the function but here's here's an interesting thing 
And I'm going to go right back. I'm going to go a little caveman here and I'm going to go right back to biological. Um, is it biologically sound? Okay. We are designed to carry weight in front. And we're designed to only carry a certain amount of weight in front in our arms because that biologically is how we are developed. I understand the backpacks fit really well. And I understand that when you look at a human and you look at a backpack, anyone can kind of fit the two together. But is it a biological, the word is escaping me now. Is it, should it be that humans take weight on their back? Are we designed to have weight hanging off of our shoulders and take away the fact that we are technologically advanced and we can make these things? Is it biologically, uh, what is that word? Oh my, I'm having, I'm maybe having a stroke. What is that word? Is it, um, uh, is it biologically uh, sound that yes. humans actually bear weight onto their back because of what it does to your spinal curves in the AP, uh, 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 you know, that yeah, yeah, Mike, what it does to anterior head carriage. Is it something that should happen? Mike, you're, you're forgetting the, the whole purpose. Why, why is it on our back in the first place? Because we like using our hands. Yeah. If we put too much stuff in our front, it starts to impede. So we have, we've got a balance of convenience, inconvenience. There you go. So I feel like backpacks were designed out of convenience to let us still use our hands and do things, yeah. but at the same time to still be able to carry stuff. I think that that's that's my massively ineloquent point, is that because it looks right, we kind of have taken for granted that carrying a load on your back is correct. And maybe that's the first thing to go, hang on a second. That's not correct. We shouldn't be doing that. So first of all, you, you, you're using... A, 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 a design that we've just sort of tacked on to this billion dollars worth of kit, not mine particularly, but the human body. And now you've added a little bit onto it. And now you're going, well, I wonder why it's not working so well. It, yeah. you know, I, I always come down to that to go, I, I get that it works and I get that it's a wonderful idea. And I get that maybe it's even necessary. I mean, I, we were out the other day and of course all of us were walking around with backpacks because that's how it works, but we are taking as read that that's normal and our bodies are designed to be able to do that. And I came home oh. with a crushing headache. So, yep. you know, you know, Mike, one of my, in one of my previous lives, I've done wedding photography <laughs> and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so so i remember i used to have the full the full kit and caboodle i was going to say the whole shebang and that yeah. came out with shebang and kit blended together there very poorly so my apologies if something that's, just out there. <laughs> that's what it, i think i'm having a stroke now too and um, so i used to so i used to get to my my shots my shoots and i'd have the backpack full of stuff and the first thing i did was drop it yeah. I'm not like drop it, drop it. I'd yeah. place it down gently because, yeah. you know, it's got thousands of dollars worth of equipment in yeah. it. And I would always find my central spot. I'm like, okay, where is my place that's convenient to get to? It's kind of safe. It's kind of secure. But I can go there for quick memory card changes. Well, because back then it was quick uh, uh, film changes. Okay, and, um, yeah, that's it. And just for kitchen. And, you know, one of the first pieces of equipment that I bought was a holster that let me carry my cameras on my hips. Mm. And it was an absolute 
backside. You know, I've gone from straps and you see you carry one across the shoulder and you carry the second one across the other yeah. side so you can quickly go from the wide angle to the zoomed in. And um, to go to the hip holster, I'm like, oh my goodness, where's this been my entire life? You know, but it's limited. You can't carry that much stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually really think one of the key parts that we need to be addressing with this one is yes, backpacks, we do need to address how do we pack them? Where are they situated? What are we doing with them? But you know what? Back in, so this was, this is actually something that's stemming as a result of this COVID stuff. This is a lot of stuff coming out in regards to posture mm-hmm. and, and activity levels. And Jurgensen, this was a paper published in 2021, it was Jurgensen. He was just very clearly stating that, you know what? Kids get back pain. But if they're physically active, that mm-hmm. reduces this risk substantially. Yeah. Okay. So we can we can look at getting kids active. By getting kids active, we're activating the muscle groups. We're activating, you know, their primitive centers inside their brain, the cerebellum frontal cortex that helps to drive them from the Neanderthalic state back up into the um, sapien state and get them much more upright again, get their brain working. When you're upright in this posture, that, that straight and thoracic thing, that was another paper that's come out recently. So that was a 2016 one. Uh, that was looking at the flexed thoracic posture is associated with depression, a higher risk of developing depression. And so they found that kids who exercised regularly had a more upright posture and were less likely to develop depression. It, ma- it makes okay. sense on all sorts of levels. It I mean, does. Posture, you're going to get less air in. It does. You're going to increase your heart rate. Oh, you're it, all sorts of organic stuff. And that was brought up in the Hewitt paper as well, I believe. They were talking yeah. about um, the potential risks of cardiovascular and respiratory impacts. You know, yeah. this, this, is, this is serious. You know, so the other one is also, we look about, so we've got posture, we've got pain, okay? They're not mutually combined. We, we don't always see posture causing pain, okay? Yeah. Some kids can have terrible posture and yeah. they're not in a painful state yeah this was brought up by uh, i think this was a um another systematic review by uh o'sullivan in 2017 uh he was looking at uh the risk factors for developing back pain and actually posture scoliosis and carrying school bags Mm. were they were found to be poor predictors of developing pain Mm. which is surprising it's counterintuitive you think surely carrying something heavy yeah but you know um if we're poor with stress if we're poor with uh back pain so if we've got a family history where there's a parent who's complaining about back pain more often we're of a poor mental state and being female unfortunately these were more predictive Mm. of developing back pains it makes makes a lot of sense as well i mean i'm just thinking of a chap that i saw a big burly dock worker guy the other day he Hmm. hurt his back bending over brushing his teeth you know, ah. it's it's about, and I think this is also kind of brings it into stark contrast, is it's about your body takes pressure and it takes yes. it in a certain way and it patterns in a certain way all the way until that pattern can no longer hold on to it. Then you move into pain or you don't move into pain, but we need to start looking at that patterning, especially in children, because it's not just about pain with children. It's that pattern that's going to give them that function, that structure later. And that's where we need to be. And that's why I kind of pull back from, and should I come in to see when, when when my guy has a little bit of back pain or something? No, no, because... That is way, way down the track. I wanted, I want that. I mean, that old thing about I want the, 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 you know, the 
tree to grow well in the beginning and in the what are, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is my second stroke of the day. But that's but that's the idea is it's not to it's not to get to this painful state because we also we mix up no pain healthy <laughs> and pain unhealthy and unhealthy. it's not the point because then again maybe we also need to frame move out of this problem no problem to I'm fine to what is my best potential. And that's, that's where we want to go. And especially like you have a swimmer, you want the best potential. Is the best potential sitting with a flex posture because all of the swimming is making all of these anterior muscles really, really strong, but we're not balancing out with any posterior chain. Super, super important to get in on those kids. Are they painful? No, I mean, they're good athletes. But at the end of the day, really important just to get that best outcome for them. Exactly. And it all stems down to those very beginnings of what we started tonight with. Look at this for going full circle. Hey, look at us. Development of those spinal curves. That's it. That is it. Man, we have talked ourselves around. This has been great. I think I think out of out of all of the out of all of the podcasts we've done, I mean all what four, five? This <laughs> five, yeah. This I think has been one of the loosest, but one of the most sort of informative for me as well. I think I've gotten I've gotten a ton out of this because um, I walked into this with a with a really sort of almost a static idea of what I was going to talk about and I was going to make my points or whatever. And as we went, I think I just I've had my cage rattle about three or four times. It's probably why I'm onto stroke number three now. But it's but it's wonderful. <laughs> and I think and we were talking about this before we got on here. One of the things is that you know you really want to be open minded. In a, in a profession like this, you really do in any sort of manual therapy, in, any, in life, you want to be open-minded because there's so much that you can gain. And I think walking into something with a rigid structure in your mind of going, I know this and I know it this way. I mean, and like just taking that Sandifers, for example, like that now you've ruined my whole week because now I'm going to be off <laughs> looking at all of that stuff. But Approaching it with an open mind allows you to do that because I had a set in stone idea of what that was. Yep. And if we've been able to make that change in each other there, Mike, oh, I, look, I look forward to what it could do to everyone else out there. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Cool. Oh, look, Mike, I think we're, I think that that is a great place to wrap it up cool. this evening. But you know what? Mm. We've got some exciting things to be talking about. We've already got our next podcast organised. The content of Doesn't our next happen. one is organized. Doesn't what is going on here? Mike, I'm going to let you have the honors. What are we talking about? So uh, I was very, I was very uh, happy to be a co-author on a new uh, paper that's going to be out really shortly in the JCCP um, journal. Uh, I, uh, my, my lead author was uh, Matt Doyle, wonderful uh, Aussie Cairo, and we were looking at, um, we were looking at developmental delay chiropractic treatment and then we did a little bit of a literature search as well around all of that so the wonderful little piece of piece of work i really enjoy putting it together which is what i call a wonderful because i had a great time doing it um oh, so that's going to be coming out soon and then yeah we are going to be chatting everything about that paper so it was it's a it's a fascinating place to be there's so many little connections that's in the literature that are now starting to be pulled together um so yeah really really interesting piece of work so i look really forward to chatting about that that's it. Oh, look, and before we nod off, nod off. I'm going to nod off because it's nighttime here. Knock off. Is, there's my second stroke as well. I've got to <laughs> playing catch up down the side. Oh, and there's number three just to catch up with that one again as well. 
Um, I want to say thank you very much for everyone who's been sending forward messages and ratings and reviews on Facebook, not Facebook, on the podcasting places. So thank you very much for that. Um, for those who have been sending emails through, I actually think we answered somebody's question tonight. I hope we did. I, I think we did, yes. Uh, we've had some more emails coming through, so thank you very much for those ones. Keep them coming. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, or heck, if you, even if you've got some some point that you would rather argue with us, yeah. uh, look, you know what? I'm open for discussion about that as well. That's that's the purpose yeah. of this one is to create discussion and chat about it. Absolutely. So please keep it all coming. Send in those ratings and reviews. That's been absolutely wonderful. Mike. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and as always, we have been uh, Mike Marinus and Christian Flutter here at Two Peep Kairos. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, leave reviews. Uh, if you find value out of a podcast like this, please share it with your friends, share it on all the social media things. We love having more and more people part of this Two Peep Cairo tribe. So thank you very much. And we will see you soon.